we're, we're a, a scripture-focused church, and we just work our way through the scripture, and we're in the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians, right? Um, and we're actually in chapter 4, and uh, before we even open that up and we get into that and, and we continue our study this morning, let me encourage you guys to continue to pray for some special needs in the life of the church. Um, pray for Mike Stennett, Billy Stennett's brother. Uh, I'm not sure how many of you guys know uh, to what degree uh, the need is. Suffered a horrific, horrific uh, injury in a car accident. Uh, when I say horrific, uh, life-threatening, obviously. Uh, just severe, severe trauma. And he's still in a um, uh, comatose state. And, um, you know, it's a very, very touchy situation. So continue to remember uh, Mike Stannett. That's uh, the brother of Billy Stannett. And, and uh, Billy's a good brother here. Love him. Uh, part of our small group and whatnot. And also, uh, this morning, uh, uh, Becky and Tim Mathers, Becky's mother, uh, Janine, is in the hospital. We were there yesterday at the hospital, and she suffered a, uh, a massive heart attack. Uh, she's about, I think, around 75 years old. Uh, she coded three or four times over the last couple of days, but I think they've got her stabilized. They had to perform, uh, <clears throat> I, I think, had to um, place uh, three stents, and there's still some other things that, are, that they're looking to do. Uh, so continue to pray for them. And then for Violet's son, Stephen, you know, uh, he, he's gone back. There's some, some infections still in uh, some of the bones and whatnot. And so um, I know you guys are a praying bunch, and, and we put this stuff on our Facebook page, the family page, to try to remind uh, you guys of what the needs are and whatnot. I just wanted to take a few minutes this morning just to reiterate those, right? Because if you're in that bed and you're in that room, you want to be prayed for, Right? And so I just want to put that out there uh, to remind you guys to be praying for our brothers and sisters. Um, uh, God is faithful, though, to hear your prayers, to answer your prayers. And uh, when it's all said and done, uh, God's goodness is always expressed. And so we're, we're thankful for that privilege to pray. Hey, listen, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Last week, uh, I'm going to read the scripture we covered last week. And then I'm going to read the few verses we're going to be covering this week. When I say a few verses, I'm talking about verses 9 through 12. Uh, that's four verses, including 9, right? And so uh, we're going to cover those four verses. But to give some context, I'm going to read the previous eight verses. And this whole portion of Scripture is all predicated on this notion about us wanting to live a life that pleases God. Okay, so as followers of Jesus, that should be our, our number one objective, right? Is to live a life that's pleasing to God. So Paul writes this letter to the church in Thessalonica, and, and I'm going to say a few things here just to remind you because I want this to sink in. Remember, this is the oldest letter in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians, the first letter that Paul writes, it's older than the gospel accounts, older than every other letter written in the New Testament. So uh, <clears throat> there are things that are being said to the church that have never been said at this point in letter form. And so Paul is writing this letter. He gets to chapter 4, and in chapter 4 we transition from looking back and, and, and acknowledging what God has done in their lives to looking forward. Okay, so let's look at 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to read 1 through 8, and then we're going to look at the text that we're going to go through this week, okay? Everybody with me? Not lost anybody yet, man. We're only 10 minutes into this, right? I can't lose anybody this quick. Okay, verse 1, it says this. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. Right? There it is, the caveat. As in fact, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And then he says, it is God's will. This is applicable to everyone in here. To everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, this is God's will for your life, right? That you should be sanctified, to be made whole, uh, to be set apart. I love the, the, the definition of it, advancing in holiness. You know, and, and that should be a part of our life. You know, you, you look at me five years ago, ten years ago, and then you look at me today, surely there's a measurable in, involved in my life and expressed in my life that would state to you without me using words that there's an advancement in holiness in my life, right? And all of us should have these measurables on display. And then the scripture says, this. He got into some really tough stuff, but this is the stuff he was talking about in regards to being sanctified, considering the church, its location, and the culture surrounding that. He had to address some issues there in Thessalonica that we could, as a body of believers in America, say, without a shadow of a doubt, it's applicable, right? And he says this, right off the bat, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And in that, this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord, in reference to that, the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. That's, that's some really stout stuff. You know, sometimes we're enamored with the love and the grace and the mercy of God. But understand all of that, the mercy and the love of God is accompanied, His love is accompanied with discipline, right? Right? And if you're a parent and you have children, you know you discipline your children. And I'm not talking about beating your children. I'm talking about discipline in the sense of teaching and discipling. That's what this is. And sometimes it can be painful to teach and, and to correct. But it is necessary. And the scripture says God will do such a thing within the body. Right. He says, for God did not call us to be impure but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects the instructions, not, uh, instructions does not reject a human being but God. Right? And then he says, the very God. He's drawing a distinction right here, right? Between all the false gods of the Greek and the Roman culture. He says the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, they knew, they knew this was true. They had experienced this. There's a distinction being made here. He says, look, guys, these are the instructions given by God, the very God, your God, the God that has made himself known to you, right? The very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, this is where we're at this week, okay? As the scripture continues, Ronnie, and you're with me, right? If no one's with me this morning, Ronnie, you're with me, right? Okay, okay. 
All right. Do I, do I got somebody with me? <laughs> okay. Ben, ben and Ronnie are with me this morning. Can I get somebody from this side just to balance the church? Okay, okay. Okay, we got some balance going. Okay. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 reads like this. Now about your love for one another. Now watch this. This thing swings from a relationship with God, right? And now a life that pleases God is directed towards our interactions with one another, right? You'll see this. You can't love God and neglect and not love your brothers and your sisters, right? It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. He says, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet, once again, just like he urged them prior, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. You, you our children worshiping downstairs? I love that. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. I know what you're thinking right now as I read that scripture. Trent, you have no chance. The scripture is directing us to lead a quiet life. You're about as loud as anyone I've ever, I've, as I've ever seen or heard. Well, we'll get into that. And we'll see if there's not a way for me to escape that. We'll find a, the, the actual applicable meaning of this. Right? And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. On anyone. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, today we have gathered in this place at 100 Hobson Way. At this location, the church has gathered in your name, to open your word, to hear what you have to say to us at this given time, moment, and place. I pray, Father, that I would not be a barrier. I, I, I would not be a hindrance to what your, your word says today, but I might rightfully divide it navigate it and express it in a manner that honors you, that pleases you, that imparts strength, wisdom, and guidance to your people. Oh, God, that our lives might please you. Father, we're all your sons and daughters who are gathered here in the name of Jesus, and we want you to speak to us through the lips of a vessel of clay, oh God, you can speak. And we trust you to do that. In the name of Jesus, we pray and ask these things. And the sons and daughters of God said, amen. Amen. Okay. Okay, if you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. If you don't have your Bible, you don't have some, some form of a... Of a, a phone, iPad, whatever, you can follow along uh, with us on the monitors. And we're going to start on verse 9, okay? This doesn't seem like a whole lot. Verse 9, 10, 11, 12, and then we're out. 
We're out, right? We're going to, we're going to jump in these scriptures. We're going to dig in there. We're going to extract the truth of it. We're going to find a place to apply it in our hearts. And then we're going to go out there and we're going to live it, right? That's the objective, right? That's what we're going to do. And I'm going to follow you to make sure you're doing it, right? No, no, I'm not going to follow you. But that's what we're going to do, right? That's what we want to do, right? So let's look at this scripture. And let's open it up. And, and literally in your own hearts, I can pray for me. I can pray for you, but I can't make decisions for you. So I would ask you, even in this moment, as we begin to read this scripture, that you just open your hearts up, okay, and your minds. Let the distractions go and just listen to what God is saying through the Apostle Paul, okay? He says, now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other, right? And so what we're seeing now is this, this transition. And, and he talks about your love for one another. Now some translations will, it will render that brotherly love, right? Some of the translations you might be reading this morning, instead of saying love for one another, it'll say your brotherly love. And it's the Greek word Philadelphia, right? Hence, we have the city of brotherly love, right? Philadelphia, right? So all you Eagles fans out there, are there okay, none of you who are Eagle fans, you understand that that is where uh, uh, the, the, that term Philadelphia for that city is derived from, the Greek Philadelphia meaning brotherly love, okay? So he's talking about their brotherly love for one another. And this is what he says to them. He says to them, we do not need to write to you. Why would they not need to write to them? Because the next scripture says this, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other, right? Now here's the question that I have to ask you guys. Whenever we're being taught by God, because we're going to look at some ways they were taught by God. Whenever we're being taught by God, one of the things that's absolutely necessary to be taught by God is to have an appetite to be taught, right? To have an appetite to be taught. I mean, you can come in there, man. You can sit under every sermon you want to sit under. We can go through the entire scripture. But in your spirit, in your mind, if you put up a wall there, man, and you don't have a desire, an appetite to be taught, then you're not going to be taught. Now, listen, I've been, in, I've been to the doctor two or three times over the last two or three weeks, right? Right? Back, elbow, all these things, this, that, another. Now, you guys have been to the doctor. How many people here haven't been to the doctor? Okay, everyone's been to the doctor, so you know, you're going to know what I, I'm talking about. You know when you're walking to the doctor and they give you all that paperwork to fill out and you're sick or you're broken or whatever else, and you're like, the last thing I want is paperwork, right? You know what I'm talking about? And then they hand you that, 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 that pen and the paper, and it's like six, seven pages. And you're like, oh, no, can I just sign my name and just submit it? No, you have to fill it all out, right? But there's a questionnaire at the very beginning of uh, uh, the paperwork as you fill it out to help the doctor diagnose what's going on with you, what's happening, right? And one of the things that identifies that there's something wrong on the inside of you rests in one of the questions that are asked on that paperwork. And you know what the question that is asked on that paperwork, have you lost your appetite? Right? Has there been a loss of appetite? 
And if you acknowledge that there's been a loss of appetite, the doctor immediately understands that there's something going on that's abnormal to create a loss of appetite. Something unhealthy is taking place inside you that you have lost your appetite. I would say to you, my brothers, my sisters, this morning, that if you are losing your appetite to be taught by God, His Word, His presence, His people, if you have lost an appetite for those things, I would say to you this morning, you need to check yourself on the inside. There is an issue going on internally, spiritually within you if your appetite for the things that please God is diminished. Right? We understand this, right? But Paul says to them something pretty unique right here. He says, that you have been taught by God to love each other. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? You have been taught by God. As though God had come down in Thessalonica and had a one-on-one class with them, when we know that's not what actually happened. So we're going to look at a couple of things, and we're going to move quickly through this. When he says you have been taught by God, well, how was that? And you tell me, you tell me, whether or not you have an appetite for these things or whether these things are taking place in your life. Okay? Fair enough, right? Now, that's rhetorical. I don't really want you to tell me. Just answer that within yourself. Otherwise, I'll be shouted down up here. Okay? Josh, answer this. He says, For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. How did this happen? This is a letter Paul has written them while he's in Corinth after he had been in Thessalonica for three weeks and he taught them for three weeks. This church is on fire. Three weeks old, he had taught them. So we know that's one way that God has taught them about the love. Through the apostle Paul, through Timothy, through Silas, they had been taught by the apostles, right? We know that to be the case. And then there's the revelation of God's love and God's desire for us to love one another that is revealed through His Spirit. The Scripture clearly states they had had an experience such as that. And it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, the first portion. And it says this, Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. Deep, deep order. Deep direction. That's what he's basically saying right there. So you've had this experience with God. Not only our teaching, not only that, the Spirit of God, man, was moving amongst you, what, verifying our teaching with power, dunamis. We've covered that, right? The explosiveness of God and deep conviction. And then there's another way they were taught. And I hope and I pray that not only are we taught like this, but we're teaching like this. And it's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses, verse 5 and the first part of verse 6. And it says this, this is how they were taught. Can you say you're experiencing this? Reciprocated, being taught and teaching. He says, and you know how we lived amongst you for your sake. You, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Mm. Mm. What kind of a teacher 
would I be if I could not speak to you? If I were to say to you, class is in session, watch me. What message is being communicated by the way that I live that could instruct you and how to love one another and how to please and honor God. If I were a muted teacher, Paul said, You guys watched us, you knew how we lived amongst you, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. As though they're one and the same, right? Would we say this? Do we have an appetite for these, these, these things? Do we have an appetite to be taught from His Word? Do we have an appetite to engage the Spirit of God, to have the Spirit of God teach us and instruct us and to guide us and to comfort us? Do we have an appetite for that? Or have we become those people who are a word centric uh, uh, experience? Or are we those people who are just a a spirit-centric experience? Or are we that biblical person who walks in the spirit and is edified by the word and taught by the word and instructed by the word? And then are we open to learning from other people? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I would trade every sermon I've ever preached from this pulpit if I knew, if I knew in your life that I was conveying a given message with a life that I lived that would instruct you in such a manner to love God and love one another. I would trade every sermon to be silent, to live life out loud for you as a demonstration. And at the same time, I want to be able to watch you and learn from you. For we all must be learning and teaching. That's the call of God on the body of Christ. We're all all teachers and we're all students. The methods of teaching and the methods of learning may look somewhat different. But the origins rest in God. And in His Word, in His Spirit. Right? So Paul says to them, And this is kind of funny. He says to them, we don't need to write to you about this. But guess what he does? He writes to them about that. Isn't that funny? (laughs) And this is what the scripture says. For yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. We cover those threes. So why does he write to them? What he literally just says right there, under the inspiration of the Spirit, I don't need to write to you about this, but I'm going to go ahead and write to you about this. The answer lies in our honesty. Because you know what happens? Sometimes we forget. Sometimes the momentum and the energy of the Spirit and the vitality of pursuing Jesus just becomes a... Another daily hurdle that we, we, we leap over and say, yeah, we, we've done that. And then we allow life to just you know, smother us. 
And so from time to time, even though we've been taught something, we know something, we need to be reminded. Unless I'm the only one who has a tendency to forget. And yet we, uh, we ask ourselves, how do we forget that? How do we forget his love for us? How do we forget his direction for us? How do we, so when we're overwhelmed and we're connected, we're too deeply vested in the peripheral things of life, man, and we've abandoned the main objectives. When I start to see people within the body who begin to fall in, into the concerns and the worries and the plights of this world, I understand the way that happens is that they have forgotten, have become disconnected, derailed to some degree from their focus upon God and His Word. It always happens like that. We never become disconnected, derailed, disenfranchised without first conceding our passion for God, His Word, His people, the Spirit. It always happens like that. It's a recipe. You can, it literally happens like that all the time. Because you know why? You don't become disillusioned, disconnected, or derailed when you're in the Word, when you're in His Spirit, and when you're in His people. The focus is intense. The desire, the, it's present. And so when people say to me, man, I just don't have the appetite anymore. I'm like, oh, the appetite extends from the lack of these things. The, For your, yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And he says, and in fact, you do love all God's family through Macedonia, throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. When he says, in fact, you do love. And your love extends beyond the borders, right? And the city limits of Thessalonica, and it extends all into, into Macedonia. Man, your love has been, there's been commentary on your love from the Philippian church, from the Berean church. Man, your love is pronounced. It, it, it exceeds. It's commendable, right? He's basically saying to these guys, man, you're living out this Jesus-type love. And this Jesus-type love is a new love. It's a different type love, right? John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says this. And this is what they're living in, walking in, experiencing. He said, a new command I give you. Now listen, when Jesus says in the gathering of his disciples, and he pulled them guys in after washing their feet, remember this? Man, death's coming for him. There's a lot on his plate. And he says to them as he gathers the boys in, he says, a new command I give you. At that moment, man, ears go up. And he says this, listen, love one another. And you're like, new command. Man, I've heard this, man, from my, from my birth up. My mama's taught me to love one another, love God's people. Love, I, this is old stuff. But Jesus says something different. Love one another 
as I have loved you. <laughs> That's the new command. That's the new command. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's the reason the love was being expressed throughout Macedonia. Man, they were loving each other like Jesus would have them love one another. But then there's something strange that happens. This, this commendable, this, this love that's being expressed. But then he says something strange to them. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. How? What does this mean? More and more. In the Greek, Milan is the word Milan. And it refers to what is it refers to what is better as compared to what is merely good. When he says more and more, he's saying to them, Man, what you're doing, this is good. But I urge you to love even better. How can they love better? Why could Paul look at them and say to them with an expectation of a response of better love? How can he look at them and even say they've got the capacity to love better? How do you love better? How do you? <laughs> I'll tell you how you love better. Jesus. The spirit of Jesus is how you love better. Spirit of Jesus, Jay. That's how you love better. Paul recognized the Spirit residing in these people, the power, the deep conviction, and he says, In that man, love better. Don't be satisfied. The sign may fall, the kingdom will not. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? And so I say to you this morning, as a, as a brother, who serves with you, who's not above you or beneath you, I want a better, better love, right? I want, better, I want better love. I don't want to settle for good, Jay. I want people to say, man, that trip, man, he really loves like Jesus. He never seems satisfied in just a good love. He has an appetite for a better love. Right? And we have this charge given, given to us to take through His Spirit a good love and to fan it into a better love. And you say, well, well, how do we do that as followers of Jesus? It takes spiritual discipline to do that. To take the gift that God has put in us, His love, and to fan that thing and to intentionally engage and to do whatever is necessary, pouring the kindling and whatever fuel God provides to you to increase that love. Right? It's a spiritual discipline. So when the Spirit is, is placed in us, we don't neglect it. We're in His Word. We're in His Spirit. We're with His people. The disciplines. The Apostle Paul writes to young Timothy. You remember this? And he says to him, for this reason I remind you, listen, to fan the flame, the gift of God. To fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying 
on of my hands. For the Spirit of God gave us, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us what? Power, love. And some scriptures will say a sound mind. Sophronismos literally means self-discipline. One of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Self-control. And he is saying to him, to Timothy, I know God placed this in you. And it's a gift of God. But it's incumbent upon you, young Timothy. The fan, the flame, man. And so I just say to you this morning, are you fanning the flame? Are you engaging in the things to make the love of Jesus better in your life. I, I could say to each of you, is the love of Jesus a roaring flame or just withering embers waiting just to die off? Unaffected. No influence, no reach. Because you've allowed it to grow cold. And then he says this, and this is a portion of scripture that I alluded to earlier. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition. Here's part of the discipline. To lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business. <laughs> Paul sounds like he's getting a little haughty here, don't he? That sounds like something you see right off Facebook. Mind your own business. That's my favorite scripture. You know what I'm talking about? Start quoting 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And just pull it right out of context. In the name of the Lord, mind your own business. Right? And then he says, and work with your hands just as we told you. When he says make it your ambition, the Greek really would translate that as a desire that is very very strong. He is basically saying, have a desire that is very, very strong to lead a quiet life. Now, here's the question. What does that mean? Does that mean we exit 100 ops and way outside these doors and we are silent in a culture that is just falling apart? That's not what it means. It has nothing to do with you just being quiet on a volume level. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about a life that is still. You know what I'm talking about? Let me say this to you so you'll get a better idea. When we're wrestling with the notion of what is a quiet life, it's much easier when we ask the question, what is a noisy life? Right? You know what a noisy life is, don't you? When you allow all these things, man, to just resonate in your hearing, in your spirit, in your mind, in your relationships, just the chaos and the noise. You know what I'm talking about? The noise? You know what I'm talking about? You, and it's not just, not just noisy things that we have to be uh, conscious of. Sometimes it's noisy people. Right? And you say, well, what's a noisy person? A noisy person typically invites themselves into your lives saying things similar to this. Did you hear? 
Did you see? Did you know? Then all of a sudden, the stillness of your life, focused on God, all these things are being invited in through the engagement into things that what? Produce nothing but noise in our life. You know what noisy things produce in our life? A loss of appetite. A loss of appetite. There is probably no noisier thing than the social platforms in which we find ourselves engaging in from day to day. You know what I'm talking about. Other noisy things. You know, when, when you have a, a stillness in your spirit, man, and, and all of a sudden before going to bed, instead of just resting in God and being still, you say, well, let me check out what's going on on, on on a global front. Let me jump on Fox News. Five minutes later, you're on Ativan or some other sedative. You're noise. Or let me jump on CNN or MSNBC or let me jump on The Blaze or let me jump on. And all of a sudden, man, the peace that you had has been compromised and the noise just floods in and then there's despair, concern, worry, fear. And the whole time God is wanting to give you peace and solace and comfort. And we've chosen noisy things, right? And then he says this, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you. Hmm. He's literally saying we need to reside over the responsibilities that God has placed in our lives. Whatever God's called you to do, be about doing it. And you know what that does? When you're busy with the things that God has called you to do, you're not busy with the things he hadn't called you to do, right? That's pretty simple, right? Man, that's a pretty easy way, man, of discerning and distinguishing, distinguishing between a quiet life and a, and a noisy life. When you're engaged in the things God's called you to, you don't have time for the other riffraff and nonsense and distractions, right? We know this. I'm not, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't already know. And he, said, he says this, and work with your hands just as we told you. Now, I want to give you some context to this, all right? Because there was prophetic word given, and remember 1 Thessalonians being the oldest letter in the New Testament, there was a prophetic word taught by the Apostle Paul about the end times. And you know what was happening in the Thessalonian church? And we find out more about this in 2 Thessalonians. There were people that were probably abandoning responsibilities. You know why? They had become so heavenly minded, they had abandoned earthly responsibilities, even within the body and their community, because they were waiting on what? The return of Jesus. They thought it was imminent, so they were abandoning their responsibilities. Man, I ain't working. Why work? I heard Skip Heitzig say uh, in a sermon, he said that he was part of that whole Jesus revolution. You know, at 70s, uh, hippie, uh, come to Jesus movement, right? And he's been faithful in the ministry of the gospel now for probably better than 50 years. And he said, man, uh, he was in uh, the Calvary Church in California, Carl, and he came to the Lord. Now he's pastoring in New Mexico, Skip Heitzig. 
And he said, man, I, I came in, I fell in love with Jesus, I was hippied out, I was a surfer. He said half of the people had long hair, they were hippied out too. They had fallen in love with this, the, the, the mystery of who Jesus was, delivered to us, man, during this great revolution, this, this movement. And he said, all of a sudden, man, all of my friends, man, literally were disengaging from society and responsibilities and he said, and I was one of the few who said, I'm going to go to school and, and I want to be a doctor. And they said, why are you wasting your time going to school? Jesus is coming back. Well, 50 years later, he's still pastoring the church and those people are probably still working at Mickey D's. Why? Because they did not occupy that's what Jesus said when he was telling the parables. Look, occupy till I come. Maintain your responsibilities. When we forsake our responsibilities that God has called us to, we lose our appetite. All right, let's, let, let's, let's try to move through this. We got people all the way from Georgia. They got to get on the road. David Guzik, Enduring Word. How many people know who that is? David Guzik, Enduring Word. We got three people. We got four on the front row. Don't raise your hand three times like he's a savior. He's just a preacher. I'm just kidding. He does an incredible commentary, Enduring Word. I read it quite often and I enjoy it. But he made a statement in regards to the culture, the Greek culture, the Roman culture, which may have also contributed to them wanting to let go of things and work as such. When Paul said, hey man, get your hands dirty in the kingdom. Be about it. David Guzik said this. Manual labor was despised by the ancient Greek culture. They thought that the better man was, or they thought that the better a man was, the less he should work. And in contrast, God gave us a carpenter king, fishermen apostles, and tent-making missionaries. Men whose hands, women whose hands, followers, who were dirty in the business of the kingdom. Let the world reject humble positions and let us embrace it if it's for the glory of God in his kingdom, right? They would be humble people. That's what Paul was telling them, man. Regardless of what the culture's saying, regardless of what you're thinking, man, stay busy about the kingdom. Be about the kingdom. Have your hands invested while you're quiet and still at the same time, Right? Second Thessalonians, Paul addresses this again because there's some slackers in Thessalonica. Hey, there is, man. And guess what he's addressing here? He ain't dress, addressing the world in Thessalonica. He's addressing believers in Thessalonica. And you know what he writes back to them? After he writes this letter, he writes back to them because apparently the Spirit had given him the unction and the inspiration to go back and reiterate this. And you know what he writes to them in Second Thessalonians? Well, you will in a couple of weeks, so we'll be there again. <laughs> this is what he says to them. 
In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you. Not optional. We command you. You guys in the military, you guys know, you know when a command comes down from up here, you follow the command. Or you're insubordinate. And you get disciplined. He says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, listen, to keep away from every believer mm, who is idle and disruptive. You, know, you, you see this, right? It's the guy who's done sow the farm because Jesus is coming back and then you're over there occupying until his return. And he's coming over here while you're doing your stuff. And this joke is over here coming, coming into, in, in, into the realm that God has called you to. And he's saying to you, another believer, hey man, why are you wasting your time doing that? I ain't going to waste my time. And the apostle Paul literally says, keep away, stello in the Greek. It means, listen, to restrain, to withdraw from. Let me give you a piece of advice in kingdom building, Okay. And understand when he says to keep away, he later says in 2 Thessalonians, for a brother who is idle and disruptive to warn them. So what he's basically saying when he says keep away is don't partake in that. When you do engage them, warn them of the error of their ways. If Paul could say it, he'd say, warn them of the error of their way. You know why, Kathy? Because they're losing their appetite. They're losing their appetite. This is what the scripture says. Keep away from every believer, right, who is idle and disruptive. Hmm. There is a biblical model found in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and throughout the scripture that there's a God-ordained, listen, Listen, establish, uh, establishing of boundaries within the relationships of your life. Because if you do not establish these boundaries, you are then leaving the door open to the clutter and the noise and the rubbish of everyone's life. And he's referencing believers. So what does that say to you and I? That you can be in Jesus and be noisy. And if you want to live the quiet life, you're going to have to understand what boundaries are. And you and I know exactly what I'm talking about, right? I ain't talking about cutting people off. But we have to set up some boundaries, some margins. They can only come in so far. You know what I'm talking about? I'll, 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 I'll talk to you at the fence in my yard, but I can't get you into my kitchen table. It's in too deep. You got too much influence into my home. The noise has entered. I can't let you in there. But I'll talk to you at the drive. I'll talk to you at the street corner. I'll talk. I got to keep you at a distance. Because you've chosen to be noisy. That's pretty hard stuff, ain't it? But that's what he's saying. How many people in here with a raise of hands 
have had to set some boundaries. Yeah. Unhealthy relationships, spiritual relationships, emotional relationships, physical relationships, boundaries must be established. You know why? To protect your appetite. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> to protect your appetite. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Then he says this. So that, this is the reason, this is the reason all this is happening. He said, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive, right? That's what the scripture says, right? And he says, and he, listen, so that, there's a reason, your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. They're saying, he's saying what you're doing, maintaining an appetite, creating boundaries, It's gospel-oriented. It's about establishing a relationship with the world, the outsiders. Why? That you can convey the gospel with validity. That they don't look at you in a shameful way. As a matter of fact, I said this to Clark Evans. Is Clark back here? There he is. Wave at me, Clark. Not that much. You back there like he's fanning me up here, trying to cool me off. Clark Evans started his first job about a year ago, didn't you, Clark? Me and his mom were not wagering people. I had a dollar he quit within a week. She had two dollars here last month. Just kidding. But I told Clark Evans as he engaged in this new job. I said, Clark, man, I said, you're going in. He's a young man. He's wanting to be a, a physical therapist. But I said, you got to stay busy with your hands. <laughs> you got to work, man. You got to pay your bills. You got to be real. You got to be honest. I said, when you go into the workplace, Clark, as a representative of Jesus, we talked about this. I said, man, you're the best worker. You are the best worker. You are the hardest worker. You work longer. You come to back from break sooner than everyone else does. You don't leave before everyone else does. You don't give ground to the enemy to blaspheme your witness of our king. So when you go into that atmosphere, man, that is preaching without a sermon. <laughs> You're too... This is what he says. Listen. So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. And the word respect just in the Greek just means you have good form. I talked to Clark's boss. And he told me, there's people that have been there 15, probably 15, 18, 20 years. He said, Clark's one of the best workers out there. He'd been out there just a few months. I want to say Clark Evans good form. So that you may live or, or so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. Listen. And so that you will not be dependent 
upon anyone. The Amplified Version literally says self-supporting, meaning not a burden to any other person. That God has provided you a means to work with your hands and you're to do it and you're to do it well, right? So that you'll establish respect through good form, that you might have a voice to them and that you might not become a burden to anyone else. That's how you keep a good appetite. You take the things that we learn in here and you apply it out there. It goes out into the workplace. It goes into the home. Angela and I worked together for 15 years. Angela, is that fair? 13, something like that. Angela said, well, Trent, you worked about 10. You were there for 13. No, listen, we worked in the same hot place. Jeff, all of us, there's Wes. Long hours, all those things, man. But I'm telling you, always in the back of my mind, in the back of my mind, always, I was thinking, oh, I'm telling you, always, am I representing, am I maintaining good form? But we learn all these things in church. We come into a place like this. One of the things I've realized about the scripture and about gathering in a place like this and learning God's word, it doesn't really produce much if you just leave it in your pockets. Right? And you just go out with notes or, or hearing. And it's just in your pocket. As a matter of fact, I had just gone to the, the, the doctor a couple of weeks ago. Kathy knew. I was in bad shape, what a Kathy. I was about to tap out, man. My back, my back was jacked up, right? And so I went to the doctor, and I got in there, and the doctor looked at me. And he said, your, your back's jacked up. I'm like, okay, here's $100. I already knew that. I'm not. He said, okay, this, this is what I'm going to do for you, Trent. He said, I'm going to give you some naproxen 500, just an anti-inflammatory. He said, I'm going to give you some psychobenzaprine. It's a muscle relaxer. Helps your back kind of get back into place. My, my brother's sitting there saying, he, he, like, he knows he's had some muscle strain. Right? He said, this is what I want you to do. He said, give it about five days and it, it'll work fine. And it'll have you back on your feet. So I took that prescription, both of them. Put them in my pocket and I went out to the car. And I sit there, I had those prescriptions in my pocket. My back didn't feel any better. But I had the prescription. You know what I had to do? I had to go out to the old pharmacy. I had to get out of the truck, back hurting. Walked in the pharmacy, hobbling. Found the pharmacist, gave him the prescription. Waited. Got the prescription filled. Walked back out to my car. Went home. Opened up the medicine. Took it out. And consumed it. And in five days, man, that joker was right. My back began to loosen up. Things, the inflammation began to go down. But it wasn't the prescription that helped me. Right? You know that, right? It was obeying the prescription. It was filling the prescription. It was taking the medication. It was following the direction. 
And all of a sudden, my life began to display an individual who had been given the remedy and then he had applied it to his life. Now, had I been walking around for the last week and a half with those prescriptions in my pocket, I'd still be up here telling you how wise that doctor is. And so we come into this place and we go through that scripture and what I would say to you, my brothers and sisters, is he's given us a prescription to live a life with appetite for his things, with effectiveness in reaching out, but you got to get the prescription out of your pocket. You've got to fill it. F-E-E-L. Fill it. Consume it. And let it affect you. And then you walk in it. Yeah. All right. Amen? That's what I want for you. And what we're going to do right now, what we're going to do right now is I'm going to give you an opportunity not to respond to me, but I want you to have an opportunity at least to respond to God as God is speaking to you. We're going to take the elements this morning. I'm going to ask Ben to come up. Dennis, would you come up, my brother? This is what we're going to do. We're going to start on the outside. You know how this is. In the back rows to the back, we're going to go to the back. We're going to come down the center aisle. We're going to take the cups, and in each cup, it's double stacked. And you'll have the wine that represents the blood of Jesus or the grape juice, if you feel better about it, and the bread. You'll take those elements of communion back to your seat, and we're going to take communion together, okay? But the scripture, you know what the scripture says regarding taking communion? It says examine yourself. Did you know that? Examine yourself. So I'm going to pray. Those on the outside are going to come around. And let me say this to you. I don't care if you're a part of the TDC or not. If you're in Jesus, if you're in the family, if you're a follower, a lover of our king, the carpenter king, I would beseech you, I'm going King James on you, beseech you to partake of these elements because they're for you. A follower of Jesus, they're for you to remember him. And may today be a day that you ask God to give me a greater appetite for the things that honor you and work through me in a greater way to expand your kingdom and to bring your name glory. Right? When the back rows on the sides are through, then we'll start in the front rows and the center going around and coming back.